my name is Titus Stevens, and I'd like to welcome you to this message by my father, Evangelist Giles Stevens. Dad has been sharing the gospel around the world for over 25 years. He founded an organization called The Great Mission as a means to reach as many people as possible as quickly as possible. Like countless others, your life can be transformed through hearing the message of God's grace and experiencing his present-day power. These podcasts are brought to you through the monthly financial support of partners. If you are able to help us spread the gospel, please visit our website at www.thegreatmission.org sponsor and choose a donation amount you'd be cheerful to give. Many thanks. Enjoy the podcast. Today I'd like to talk to you about your first call as a believer. And I want to awake or adjust something in your thinking. That is namely that your primary ministry call as a believer, as a disciple, is to be a fisher of men, or in other words, to be an evangelist. The story of the miraculous catch is far more than an account of how Jesus cheered up his fishermen after a night of fruitless labour, far more than Jesus revealing how he can miraculously meet our needs or provide an income for us. Jesus used this situation to reveal the primary purpose of ministry. His followers are to be first and foremost fishers of men. In Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we read, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. To prove that our first calling and the most important calling that we have as disciples of the Lord is to be fishers of men, I'd like to use certain examples. And of course, the supreme example is that of Christ himself. The Bible does not say that Jesus came into the world to teach the word or to feed the poor or to make a better world. His primary purpose was to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. In his own words, Jesus declared in Luke 19 and 7, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Christ is the good shepherd whose primary concern is not to care for the 99 who are found, but even to leave them behind that he might go and seek out the one that is lost. Luke 15 and 4 says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness 
and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. It is clear that winning the lost is the primary call of Christ. It is something he does until he finds it, and the source of great celebration in heaven. Luke 15 and 7 continues, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. As Christ is our pattern and our model, it is clear that we too should prioritize winning the lost. The second example is the case of Peter. Peter's example is particularly illuminating. We tend to remember him as the great apostle, or else we think of him as one of the first pastors or even bishops of the Jewish believers. In John chapter 21, Jesus called Peter to feed his sheep. This was his call as a shepherd or as a pastor. In Matthew 16, Jesus declares that Peter will be a rock upon which Christ will build his church. You could argue that this is his apostolic call. However, here in Luke chapter 5, and in chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel, and chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel, Christ calls him to be a fisher of men. Not only do three of the four Gospels take account of this, thus revealing its importance, but also his calling as an evangelist to fish men comes well before his calling and commissioning to be an apostle or pastor. When the Holy Ghost came on Peter on the day of Pentecost, the ministry of the evangelist was released in him, and he preached to the crowds assembled, and 3,000 people were saved. In the same way that his fishing net burst full on the Sea of Galilee, now his evangelist net was bursting full of souls in Jerusalem. In his later life, Peter became concerned that believers would forget their call to win souls and become barren in this area. We must remember where we've come from, is his point. 2 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Peter's concern was that believers would be busy but barren, that they would prioritize other things. It's not that pastoring or teaching or caring for believers is wrong, obviously not. Rather, it's a case of priorities. This fact may seem so simple, but my concern is that there are forces to try and deceive you into missing the point and to not putting first things first. For instance, there are those who think themselves to be sophisticated in the ministry and that the work of the evangelist is below them. They consider that the simple ABC message of the gospel is beneath their intellectual capacity and should be left for more simple-minded preachers. There are others who in their self-righteousness think that they've been saved because of their own goodness. This person has forgotten that he was cleansed by the blood of Christ alone. He looks upon the unbeliever as a sort of second-class citizen and has no compassion upon him because he seems unworthy of salvation. You can see how twisted this mentality and theology is. It's another gospel based on works. It's not the gospel of Christ which reveals God's love towards the undeserving sinner. Tragically, there are those who have no compassion on the lost because they've been blinded by their own self-righteousness. The third example is that of Paul. So let's consider the greatest of all New Testament theologians, the Apostle Paul. Despite the fact that he was an apostle and a teacher, he always preached Christ to the lost as a priority when he arrived in an area. 
Paul did not see it below him to be a preacher to the unconverted. That was his mission and his delight. In many cases, he preferred to preach to people who had never heard the gospel than in those regions where other preachers had already been. Romans 15 and 20, he writes, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. Was Paul an evangelist or an apostle? Perhaps the best answer is both. Or alternatively, you could say that whilst he evangelized, his ministry became apostolic. He never lost his passion to preach to the lost. He gave his testimony of conversion everywhere he went, even though he was the greatest theologian. No matter if he was speaking to Jews or Gentiles, rich or poor, governors or prisoners, he evangelized them. Acts 9 and 20 says, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. When the Jews resisted his preaching in Poseidon, Paul told them that the following commandment had been given to him and Barnabas. Acts 13.47 states, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. To King Agrippa and Governor Felix, Paul declared in Acts 26, 17 and 18, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes, in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. My point is that whilst Paul was a great theologian, teacher and church planter, he never stopped preaching the gospel to the lost. He spoke to multitudes and he preached to individuals. He spoke to the rich and to the poor. He spoke with the Jews and the Gentiles that they all be saved. Often with time, many believers and often pastors stop evangelizing. They start their ministry as fervent evangelists, but as they get more and more involved in church activities, they forget their first calling and first priority. They get so surrounded by believers that they lose sight of the lost. Pastor David Wilkerson of Times Square Church in New York testified that when he felt his passion for the lost begin to diminish because of church activities, he would take a walk through the rough areas of the city and see the drunks and the drug users, the couples shouting at each other, and the people begging on the streets. He would find his evangelistic zeal stirred up in him again. Many believers get caught up in the pastoring or deeper teaching of believers that they lose sight of the lost. Worst of all, we get caught up in bettering our own lives that we forget the lost. I'm asking you to make an adjustment in your ministry and to keep first things first. Like Peter, Paul was concerned that the next generation of believers would forget their primary calling. The church was growing quickly. A new generation of believers was arising who'd been brought up in Christian homes by parents who were believers. Because they had never known what it was like to be lost, there was a danger that they had less compassion towards those on the outside. When Paul writes to his spiritual son and disciple Timothy, he addressed his problem saying, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Louis and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also, 1 Timothy 1.5. Timothy was a third generation believer. He had not known how it was to be raised serving a foreign god or under a doctrine of demons. Paul was concerned, therefore, that he needed to be constantly aware and considerate of those who had been. In 2 Timothy 4 and 5, he says, But you be watchful of all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
Paul told Timothy to do the work of the evangelist. I'm writing this to remind you to do the same. It is clear that you cannot fulfill or complete your ministry and the call of God in your life if you don't develop this part. Sometimes people do not have compassion on the sick or the imprisoned or the poor until they themselves have lived in such circumstances. However, it is possible to still have compassion by listening or reading about those who have suffered in such ways. This stirs up genuine empathy in you, which acts as a fuel to reach out into these areas. I've never been in prison, but I've read enough stories about them to feel compassion. Recently, I read Alexander Solzhenitsyn's book called The Gulag Archipelago, which details life in the Siberian labor camps under Stalin's tyrannical rule. The book broke me so much that I wept and cried out to be sent to bring good news to the Russians. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, but I'm asking you to step outside and see how life is in a family that's broken and lost, where the scriptures are never taught and where Christian virtues are rarely practiced. Maybe you should take a walk in the streets, or maybe read some books about others, or watch a film about people suffering, but stir up the gift of the evangelist in you somehow. My fourth example is the case of the disciples. We have seen that the disciples were first called to be fishers of men. We must also note that that is their last calling commissioned by Christ, in line with the first. They are to be harvesters of souls. Jesus says to them in Matthew 28 and 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. When they receive the promise of the Father on the day of Pentecost, they are endowed with power for one principal purpose, to be witnesses. Acts 1 and 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus used this occasion to reveal the first calling of all his disciples, past and present. Jesus' first disciples are not farmers or bakers or tax collectors, they're fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James and John are the first of the first disciples. They are the model for others to follow. Through this imagery of fishermen, we have forever imprinted into our minds a picture of disciples as fishers of men. The play on words between fisherman and fishers of men given by Christ was done in such a way that even a young child could understand the comparison. Obviously, this is for a purpose. Jesus was revealing the primary purpose of the ministry. These are his first disciples. This is their first call. This happened in the first days of Jesus' public ministry. Often believers place discipleship above evangelism. However, if discipleship is to clean up and consolidate a new convert, then evangelism is to catch the convert first of all, or to catch the fish. In other words, catching fish always comes before cleaning it. You must catch fish before you clean them. Likewise, you give birth to kids before you raise them, and you bring rocks together before you can build the temple. My fifth example is the case of church history. Over the course of history, we've read how moves of God have been the result of men and women who have prioritized the work of evangelism. More recent revivals were spearheaded by men such as Wesley, Finney and Spurgeon. Listen to their counsel. John Wesley said, You have nothing to do but save souls. Therefore spend and be spent in this work. It's not our business to preach so many times a day or to take care of this or that club or ministry, but to save as many souls as you can, to bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance. Charles Spurgeon said, 
If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Finally, the case of Count Zinzendorf is worthy of mention. Raised as a wealthy aristocrat and with a high education, he converted his estate into a missionary sending station and sold his wealth to sponsor missionaries in their quest to win souls. His disciples sold themselves into slavery in order to win slaves. They became missionary to leper colonies, knowing that in order to win these sufferers, they would mostly die. Zinzendorf and his disciples had a passion and a priority to win souls. Listen to his words. I have but one passion. It is he and it is he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world. And henceforth that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. So let me give some suggestions in conclusion. First of all, you need to discover your new identity. Jesus used the occasion of calling fishermen to help his disciples to always focus on their primary calling, to be fishers of men. After the miraculous catch, Peter fell down at Christ's knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus replied, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. It's interesting to note that he did not focus on Peter's weakness or his past. Rather, he pointed Peter to his divine calling and to his future. Only when you forget your sins and your past can you really move into your divine vocation and the future that God has for you. Stop thinking about your past failures and your weak and sinful state. You are no longer a sinner. You're a fisher of men. That's your identity. You may have had little success in your business, but you can have great success in his business. Christ has given you a new job and a new job title. Secondly, don't be distracted. Keep focused on this. If your focus is not souls, then it will be money or position or popularity. Your eyes always focus on something, and it's easy to become distracted. We are fishers of men, not of money. Many ministers focus much time on raising finances and paying bills. When you become a fisher of men, you will find that money will come in. You don't need to go after money. Go after fish and the Lord's provision will come to you through those fish and often in miraculous ways. Matthew 17 and 27 says, Go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you've opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Other ministers have become distracted by the many ministry necessities. If each of the fivefold ministry gifts is held in equal balance in the church life, then at least one-fifth or 20% of church activities should be spent on evangelism. Thirdly, understand the power of focus. It's focus that leads to breakthrough. Everywhere I go, I see souls saved because it's a priority for me. We know that water is a soft material and will wind its way around most objects that lie in its path. However, the same water put through a high-intensity water jet will cut through granite because of being focused in one spot. Likewise, the sun shines on all the earth, but when it is focused through a magnifying glass, it makes fire. Breakthrough comes because of focus. Extraordinary results come because of focus. Focus means that you exclude other things from your agenda in order to prioritize one thing. The question is, do you really want your church to grow? Focus then. Focus your members. 
Go visiting neighbours, open new cell groups, hand out invites, preach the gospel. How much time does your church spend doing evangelistic activities? Consider holding at least one service per month purely for bringing visitors. Fourthly, make first things first or they don't get done. Unless you prioritise the priorities, they will not get done. If you don't save money at the beginning of the month, you will not have the money to save at the end of the month. This is true for tithing. Few people find time and energy to read their Bibles at the end of the day, which is why it's better to start with it at the beginning of the day. Make plans today for this week and for this month. If your priority every day was to win a soul, imagine how you would pray each morning. I think you would pray with much more vigour and intensity. In conclusion, of course, I'm not suggesting that you should not disciple others and teach and train to be involved in all areas of church life. Only that in all your doings, that you never forget that your first call is to be a fisher of men. Thank you for listening. We encourage you to live out all that you have learned today. Also, we would like to invite you to join the Great Mission by helping us to share the message of grace with the world. This podcast and our Grace Festivals and Grace Conferences are made possible through the financial support of monthly partners. You can join this group by giving a pound or a dollar a day, a small donation that can have a huge impact on others. Please visit our website at www.thegreatmission.org sponsor. No, sir.